This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Today we're going to talk about the dollar, or rather the potential for not talking about the dollar in a few years' time, because we're going to talk about a concept called de-dollarisation. With me is Sahil Matani, who is a strategist at Investec Asset Management in London, and with him is his colleague, co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management in London again, and that's Philip Saunders. Gentlemen, de-dollarisation, starting with you, Sahil. It's been spoken about for many, many years, in fact, probably since the 1970s. Correct. So I think until just a few years ago, when people talked about de-dollarization, they typically referred to efforts to shift usage in emerging economies, typically after hyperinflation, away from dollars. But in the last few years, to hear it being talked about in a different way. And it now refers to a shift in the global monetary order centered around the US to a more multipolar currency arrangement. Philip, the transition in currency values is quite quick. I mean, some people might remember when the store of value for the world was the British pound or sterling. Uh, But what I'm talking about now is the way that currencies go in and out of favour. And you make the point that the dollar lost 45% of its value against the Deutschmark between the years 1971 and 1978. Massive implications of such moves. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, over the last seven years or so, the dollar has been in a cyclical bull market cycle. So the dollar basically is uh, riding high at the moment. And there's a general assumption that uh, it will remain dominant. But really, it's basically a question of sort of confidence. So what we're saying is that there's likely to be a cyclical bear market uh, in the dollar. And that's putting any kind of secular consideration aside. But this time around, given the timing and given the emergence of China as a potential contender, which hasn't been the case really, you know, with I mean, Japan and Germany basically both became significant economies, but they never really challenged uh, the dominance of the dollar. Uh, this time around, China is more serious and China basically has the scope to uh, develop deep local markets and take on the attributes of a sort of major reserve currency. So, Hill, that sounds like a lofty ambition for China, especially as it's still almost an adolescent when it comes to economic growth. And do you think it's dangerous to even think about the Chinese currency becoming a store of value, even in 10, 15, 20 years hence? No, I think it's largely inevitable. I mean, I I think a lot of scepticism on China focuses on the fact that there are many problems related to debt and deleveraging. Um, But actually, China has a history of material and quite sweeping reforms that routinely transform the Chinese economy. I mean, the the famous case is the SOEs in very frequently, uh, for example, a few years ago, shadow banking growth was a major problem. And today you see asset growth in shadow banking is negligible. Um, You know, since 2017, we've seen a significant improvement in returns on equity for state owned companies the Chinese reform effort, as it gathers speed, you will see um, more importance uh, placed on the, on the renminbi in international markets. More importance in international markets, but will the average industry, uh, Philip, for example, be able to make that transition, both psychological and physical, from dollars to renminbi? I mean, I think that this, this is not necessarily going to happen abrupt, abruptly because Chinese capital markets are, you know, the process of opening up 
is uh, uh, has been relatively tentative so far, but we suspect that that will become more pronounced. And what is one of the things that's driving this, of course, is the is the sort of strategic rivalry rivalry between China and the U.S. is now sort of out in the open. Uh, U.S. policy has clearly changed. Under Trump, America has effectively used the dollar and the U.S. payment system as a weapon. And um, and inevitably, that is uh, prompting a reaction and it's likely to actually uh, speed up the process of Chinese reform. Uh, and it's likely to sort of speed up a multipolar world. Just staying with you, Philip, on that point that you just made about weaponization, is that hastening the de-dollarization process, do you think, unintentionally by the Trump regime? Yes, I mean, I think that they probably don't understand the ramifications of uh, what is essentially a shorter term policy, particularly vis-a-vis the likes of Iran. But those actions have, you know, again, you've seen a response from uh, from Europe in terms of, you know, recognising that basically it is dependent on the US. And when the US says that you're not allowed to trade with Iran, uh, literally, the US has the ability to actually sort of uh, enforce that simply because Europe is deeply uh, integrated into the sort of system of dollar payments uh, internationally. So vis-a-vis China, I think that the the sort of opening of Chinese eyes really sort of came at the time of the global financial crisis. Up until then, they ran the currency, um, you know, it was quite quite tightly managed against the dollar in a way, basically, it was like a currency board. Uh, And I think progressively, um, the steps that have indicate that that they recognize that they're insufficiently independent of the U.S. monetary system in effect and the U.S. credit cycle. And they've progressively been taking taking steps to boost domestic growth, for example, become less dependent on exports and to build their own payment systems. So we've spoken about some of them, but perhaps you could highlight some of the other key factors that are driving the process of de-dollarization. Yes, I think Philip is absolutely right about the international environment that's compelling China to push in this direction. And in fact, other countries in Europe uh, to push uh, away from the dollar. But there are also internal changes in China's economy, which mean an accelerated drive to internationalize the currency is uh, is becoming an important aspect of policymaking. So essentially, uh, you know, China's working age population share Uh, peaked in 2016 and will decline going forward. That's well known. I think what's less well known is the fact that demographics uh, drove half the increase in Chinese household savings since the 70s, according to the IMF. And today, China's current account would be negative without distortionary policies. So if you have a current account deficit going forward, um, China would prefer to borrow in its own currency rather than incur foreign currency denominated debt in perpetuity. So that's one internal reason that they may wish to accelerate the um, internationalization of the renminbi. And I think other uh, emerging market countries are also uh, seeing their trade patterns become less dependent on the U.S. You know, 15 years ago, about 20 percent of East Asian value added went to the U.S. Today, it's 10 percent. Uh, And so such countries may find it to their advantage uh, to sign swap agreements with the Chinese central banks, as they have been doing, and conduct trade in the renminbi. Um, So it's not going to happen overnight, but I think the direction of travel is fairly clear. 
Philip, this is a lovely precursor to a written piece that you're going to be putting out quite soon, a far more comprehensive piece than this podcast could possibly cover. But I just want to ask you the final question now. What are the implications for capital markets, capital flows, for example? It's not just a change of a symbol on a screen or a ticker, and it's not just someone signing something different on on a customs form relating to a container. So what are the implications for world trade as well? Although it's not going to happen overnight, there must be some implications. Um, yes, there are certainly some fairly profound implications because it means that, uh, you know, we've been in this sort of dollar uh, uh, environment whereby the sort of principal sort of reference for riskless returns has been, you know, T- US T-bills. And that increasingly is going to change. Uh, and that means that the, um, you know, whereas there was, you know, very significant, you know, in the past we used to sort of comment that, uh, you know, when the US economy caught a cold, the rest of the world got pneumonia. Um, uh, and we're moving away from that environment. So the US can have a cold or possibly even pneumonia and, and the impact internationally is going to be less. And in terms of basically, you know, how you think about diversification, that is going to be influenced by by, by that uh, sort of albeit slow burn uh, development. So I think that, you know, in a way, basically, the other point to note is that the, if you like, the sort of uh, collateral that has backed the dollar system um, has eroded, um, and the U.S. used to be the world's leading net creditor nation, suitable margin. Um, it ceased to be that some time ago, and is now obviously overwhelmingly the world's uh, leading debtor nation. Uh, so, in a sense, uh, you know, the emperor might not be completely naked, but basically, it's sort of clearly wearing fewer clothes than currently. But I think the immediate implication really is that you know, if we are going to go into a cyclical dollar bear market, if you have secular um, or structural, longer term structural drivers coming into play as well, uh, then, you know, again, it could be that, you know, the next cyclical bear cycle in the dollar is um, somewhat more vicious. Now, I know it's very difficult to think in those terms at the moment because the dollar basically, you know, has been extraordinarily strong for some time. And so that seems to be the norm. But the next downturn, you know, again, is going to basically have some cyclical drivers as well. And there's one final thing that's worth noting, and that's, you know, in terms of actually um, the paper covers the sort of the dollar's rise to dominance. uh, And a key factor behind this was uh, obviously the size of the economy and the growth of the economy. Uh, But it was also the pricing of commodities in dollars, particularly because the US was a major oil importer. Yes? Yes. Um, Because it was a relatively high-cost oil producer. Uh, And that really put the Middle East on the map. And basically, oil the key commodity was priced in dollars. And it's, um, it's extremely interesting to note that uh, the p- pipelines now flowing from Russia to, uh, to China, uh, through which China is going to get a lot of its, uh, it, its oil in the future, you know, again, is resulting in the pricing of oil in renminbis. You know, quite understandably, from a, Japanese, from a Chinese perspective, um, they, they would prefer to buy um, commodities uh, you know, in renminbi rather than having to go through the dollar. Um, really, the principal customer for uh, oil, Middle Eastern oil, is now not the US anymore. Uh, it's China. Uh, and again, we can see this shift towards basically the renminbiization uh, of, of contrast, contracts. So this really is, is, is gathering momentum. Uh, and what we also say in the paper is that historically, uh, shifts in currency status uh, of this nature 
have tended to actually happen with a lag. And when they've happened, they've tended to happen in a fairly material form. Uh, so it's something that uh, asset allocators really do need to be paying attention to now. It's almost an inexorable momentum that you've just described. Thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. That was Philip Saunders, co-head of multi-asset growth, and Sahil Matani, strategist, both from Investec Asset Management in London. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.